Hey, have you ever, uh, speaking of slowing and speeding up voices, have you ever tried to turn on a podcast on any speed but 1x? Because you can turn it up to, I think, 2x or turn it down to 0.5x. I tried that with an audio book one time to go to like 2x and it was, cr- I couldn't do it. It's it insane. Yeah. But I, I've turned our podcast to 0.5x and especially you, Rob, sound hammered drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I dare you to try it. Turn on any one of our podcasts, and when you start talking, turn it down to 0.5x, and you will lawler skate, dude. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hey, more importantly than running, how's your truck running? Oh, my gosh. Dude, isn't that an amazing-looking truck? Oh, it's a great-looking truck, man. Holy smokes. I like it. Are you just pretty pumped every time you see it? Yeah, I've actually, like, stopped and stared at it. I do it almost every day. It's, (laughs) yeah, it's, it is like having a little baby. (laughs) Like, I just want to take care of that thing all the time. I'm just constantly, like, looking out the window. Oh, man, look at that. You know? (laughs) Just seeing how the weather's affecting it, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that the it's, first vehicle that you've bought yourself? <clears throat> no, I I bought like a a pretty junky car going into college, nice. um, and I, I I liked that car, but it did not do me well. It was it was a used car, and it like had all these little gremlins in it. Um, well, so this, this is, is this the, truck is used, right? It's only a few years. It old. is, yeah, it is used, but it's like pristine condition man mm-hmm. I, well the outside was, looks nice oh my gosh it was clear that like an old guy had this thing and would just drive it every now and again but just took like perfect care of it um so yeah and it's perfect for in the city but like still having a truck so i can throw stuff in it and like i'm moving stuff around but i'm not ripping up gas and it like i fit into normal parking spots and um you know, it's got a it's got a pretty good engine. It's got a V six in it, so it does what it needs. Um, but it's not like this massive overbearing vehicle. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a perfect priest truck. Totally. So I'm pretty, like I'm I'm actually very excited about it. It's not flashy at all, but it's it's like just what I needed. Um, yeah, dude. So I'm very excited for it. Yeah, and I wasn't looking at these at all, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this dude. Like family family owned dealer that went to our, went to Pinecrest, my school, and he just sends me over some pictures and he's like, I know you're looking for a compact truck, looking at Tacomas, but like what about this? Because the thing with Tacomas is you're buying legitimately, if I wanted to buy a two thousand and eleven Toyota Tacoma with a hundred thousand miles on it, a hundred thousand miles, hmm. two thousand eleven, six years old. That thing would probably cost, I don't know, like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars at least. That's the that's thing; they crazy. don't lose their value. They hold their value like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Well, that's was, the th- I mean, but the thing is, is like they hold their value, but that's also probably fifty percent of what that truck originally cost, which is insane. Mm. Mm. You're yeah, saying they're it, expensive to start with. Exactly. Right. I mean, so like, obviously, I mean, you still have a lot of money like left in it, but you've put a lot of money into that truck at that point. 
Well, it's just because there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of life left in it. That a hundred thousand yeah, miles, you're not even. You're not even. A hundred and ten thousand. Yeah. A lot of people consider that the half life of a Toyota Tacoma. Right. I'm like what? Yeah. That's... So I just like couldn't bring myself to do that, even though I mean, tons of people have, you know. Um. So mine had seventy, like seventy-two, I think, mm-hmm. and it was a 2011. And walked out at like a a much 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 more reasonable price, um, no accidents, like all the the car had been taken care of very very well. So it was, hey, it's just a nice modest truck that really does like give give me everything that I need. So it's uh, funny the first time I bought three vehicles now in my life. The first was a Beater uh, Mazda 1987 Mazda B2200 four-cylinder two-wheel drive truck with a long bed that i bought in california and drove back to illinois it cost me eight hundred dollars <laughs> then uh a stick shift then i bought that little red truck my senior year of college and then this honda accord that i'm driving now i bought a couple years ago and yeah. every time you buy a car for the first few months from that beater to my accord every time you park it you look back and you're just like you just soak it in. You're like, that's oh. my car. <laughs> it's such oh a cool gosh, feeling. Dude. It that's, really is. That's how I get around. Them I'm trying my to look wheels. through the window right now to see if I can still see my <laughs> truck, but I can't. So if y'all, I just wonder like, if that's just a guy thing or if women get that too. But it is <laughs> deep. Yeah, if it's the, your vehicle. If y'all hear crickets on my end during the podcast, it's because you're staring at I've, your truck. <laughs> I've run outside for a quick peek. Okay. You never know. You can't be gone for too long. Yeah. Something might happen. Yep. But then it's like all material possessions. After a few months pass, it's just like, eh. Eh. I haven't washed it since I got it, so who cares? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm really trying to fight that, but it's gonna it's inevitable. Um No but I I do like washing a car though. I I just like the uh especially when it's your own car. Just hand washing your own car. That's kinda nice. I've been doing that on my free days, on my off days. Um, especially hot I, weather. What's that? In hot weather, especially. It's just kind of oh, a good outside thing. Down here. Yeah. And so we've just been like watching all the family cars and it turns into this family event. Yeah. Cause summers, it's like, especially with our family, we're, we're relatively busy and like kids are running back and forth. Uh, but the summers, you really don't, you're a kid, you don't have anything to, going on. And so it's like, oh, I got these camps, this and that. But in reality, we're all just trying to hang out and like have a good time. <laughs> so your family so, is pretty close to where you're at. They're probably forty minutes north, so I'll drive up there for my for my off day. Oh, wow. like watch basketball camps or soccer games, and or just hang out. Mm-hmm. So like the kids will see me washing the truck, which has a hose, and they're automatically like, "Water fun summer, hot <laughs> out, yeah." And then, dude, know. hoses. <sighs> You can spray, you can annoy somebody with that. Give it to me. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have a dog? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have a dog. We. Uh, the only reason I ask is because they broke out the hose when I, last week when I was in Texas. Mm. And they. my brother had just bought a dog a few weeks ago. And it's a rescue. It kind of looks like a pit bull a little bit. It's kind of that stocky, but it's not a full pit bull. Yeah. She's really sweet, but not the smartest uh in certain <laughs> situations and the kids had the hose going and she just went nuts like i have to have this water 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 <laughs> to the point where she was like sticking her whole mouth over 
the nozzle of the hose and it just you could just hear it shooting into the back of her throat and she's like (laughs) i thought she is gonna drown herself turn that hose off (laughs) that makes me think of andy dwyer i think there's like some (laughs) early episodes that's how he would drink from all of the water fountains oh in parks and rec (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) his mouth would totally engulf the faucet (laughs) relax so, Rob, what's the topic? Oh, ho, ho, ho. Topic we're back, slave. baby. This is Three Dogs North at its best <laughs> right it. here. See to your uh, pants. See the pants. I have had, uh, <laughs> well, this, is, this has been a big grace in my prayer life. Very big grace. Sister Alicia, so take your guys' thoughts on it for sure. But Sister Alicia, um, when she was down here, Oh, gosh, probably a few weeks ago at this point. She sent me after um, this podcast on, I think it's actually a Carmelite that he gave like an hour-long talk on St. Therese. And it's super cool. Um, very, very good. I don't. It was out of Boston somewhere, I think. But um, one of the lines in it, he's talking about Therese's like, just her like detachment issues with mothers um, because she was actually she was nursed by a wet nurse and then she was pulled out of that and then like a few years later her mom actually died and then her sisters who were motherly figures went to the convent and all this stuff and so um, this guy must have had some type of psychology background as well but then it was a super passing line that he said but it really hit me and that he was talking about for all of his spiritual directees that he has, he always tells them that like a huge key to your spiritual life or a huge distinction to make, if nothing else, is that psychological and emotional healing is not necessary for spiritual growth. And I don't know, that just like really stuck with me. So he wasn't saying it was bad. It wasn't saying like you don't want that or work for it or pray for it or anything like that but he was like it's not i think anyway he was saying it's not necessary for spiritual growth so in a sense i think this guy would say like therese like never got over that like whatever um detachment issues she had from motherly figures and she was able to like work through them to i mean have obviously like a very mature adult faith um, but I don't know thoughts on that. That's been big for me. That's really interesting. I was listening to, um, Catholic stuff you should know, which I'll bleep out so that nobody accidentally goes oh. and listens to them. Here, 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 here. And, uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was a joke. <laughs> Father Nathan Goble and Father John Neppel, uh, <clears throat> Neppel's been in Rome. And so the two of them and Goble's in Denver or somewhere in Colorado. But anyway, they were back for the summer and they did one together on consolation, desolation in the spiritual life. Okay. And it has something, what you were just talking about uh, and what they were talking about, I think are related. And I've been uh, praying myself about something similar. Nathan's question was, what is the default state of like someone living the spiritual life? Um, or what is the ideal state? In other words, between desolation and consolation. And most people will answer kind of, or at least not 
verbally or explicitly but implicitly believe that someone living the spiritual life well will be in a state of consolation spiritual consolation that's otherwise what sign do you have that you're living in god's will and that you're doing everything right you should be having spiritual insights and revelations and consolations and everything like that um that means you're growing in sanctity but not necessarily um Mm -hmm. in the ignatian tradition the ideal kind of idle state idling is as in like um like a car or a truck if you will would be indifference to consolation or desolation indifference to anything really um Mm -hmm. that's ignatius's prayer whether i'm poor or rich healthy or unhealthy whether uh people respect me or disrespect me that you choose you elect to do god's will you discern spirits um and usually those are those are either interior or from the world or or whatever but you you choose intellectually discernment is an intellectual exercise where you you size up a thing uh, and then you choose the one that is the right way and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to feel awesome you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so like the psychological healing thing, maybe there, maybe there's a trap there where if I still have some deep wound or if I'm still even living out of a wound um, and therefore like more subject to certain temptations or to despair or to lust or to whatever else because of some wound that I have... Um, I don't necessarily need, in order to be a saint, I don't necessarily need to have that completely cured so that I feel 100% awesome all the time. You know, like if it's still a struggle, if I still feel lousy sometimes, so long as I'm mm-hmm. choosing to do God's will um, through my power of free will and, and the gift of discernment, then that's the goal. Like, um, it's indifference, like, whether God chooses to give me consolation or desolation, the, the true goal is communion with Christ. And God knows Christ suffered. He didn't live in um, pure consolation in his 33 years on earth. Like in entering the human condition, he went through all of the ups and downs of the human experience of the spiritual life. He always obeyed. Um, so I don't know if that does that kind of line up with what you were thinking about with that i like that um i'd be that's a really good question of like the default or the ideal state because i yeah i like that like because don't you ever uh, feel like when you're in desolation or you feel depressed or something or something's really hard for you to do uh or loving people is really difficult um you feel like i must be doing this wrong oh yeah for sure and i I think that that itself is an evil spirit no, you're not oh. doing it wrong. Like it's sometimes it's hard, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, you don't yeah. want to do it, but you do it anyway. That's oh yeah, that's living sure. the spiritual life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I think there, you know, at least I don't know, I, I'm trying to think back to like my IPF summer, even in that, and like um, I mean, I like the kind of simple distinctions between that come from Ignatius. I think of like. Just the difference between, uh, like, uh, you know, human uh, consolation versus a spiritual consolation, you know, and they're kind of like levels of the heart notion and everything. So I, I do think that that lines up very well. That's a pretty cool point. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought that was super freeing, like back to kind of how this Carmelite worded it was like, um, yeah, your, your spiritual growth does not, is not dependent necessarily on your, I think he might've just said emotional healing. I might've filled in like a psychological healing, um, even, and even that, like that is, that's true, man. Like sometimes stuff just like you're saying, sometimes it just stinks and like really isn't what you want to do. Or like sometimes stuff just really, really hurts, you know, or just like sadness or whatever it is, you know. Um, and I, but oftentimes I guess I find myself like, yeah, I mean, maybe acting out of, out of wounds is, is real of like, you know, certain things are like triggers that certainly take you back to spots that are just like very deeply imprinted on your memory and on, on my life. And, um, and, but I, I don't know. I just, I just thought that was so, such a cool thing of like, yeah, you can pray for those spots to be like very much healed. But, um, and when I say healed, I guess like, and maybe I don't have a proper necessarily understanding of like what healed is all the time. Cause when I think of healed, I think of like something that's, um, like totally functional and, um, you know, kind of the spot of, uh, I don't know what the right way to say it is, but, um, you know, so that's even an interesting like term in it, but, um, yeah, I'm I'm rambling, but just that notion. Well, I feel like one is the the theological or revelation part of this is Christ's own wounds stay with sure. him after. Um, that's something that that was brought up in IPF a lot. Christ's own, and I've wondered about what the meaning of that is. That even today with Saint Thomas's feast day, and it's all about let me put my fingers in the wounds and my hand yeah. in his side and stuff. The fact that he knows intuitively, yeah. even before seeing the risen Christ, that those wounds will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are literal physical wounds, but you know we we project that that language onto the psyche and emotions. Um, I think rightly so that the, these things stay with us. Like, for instance, um, an addict to something, whether it be drugs or alcohol, pornography, gambling, or whatever. You talk about triggers. You know, like it they've wounded themselves. They're self inflicted wounds. Um, where these the memory of a certain uh, satisfying thing stays with them constantly. And they're, they're always, I mean, the language of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which I've read some stuff that kind of disputes this, but that they constantly, they're always say I'm an alcoholic, whether or not they've drunk in the last week or the last decade or last 50 years, they say I'm still a recovering alcoholic because they know at any moment they could slip off the wagon and this, this temptation never really leaves them. Mm -hmm. Um, so in other words, like if the, it, could you, I think implicitly we sometimes think to ourselves like until I am completely free of the desire to sin, until I'm free of these memories that haunt me, whether they be self-inflicted or inflicted by someone else, some kind of wound that I have where something was lacking or something evil came into my life, until that is totally taken care of, then I'm still a work in progress, which we all are a work in progress, but for different reasons, not because we're broken or like necessarily like these wounds are 
totally undermining any sort of spiritual progress we're making. In fact, they are the ways that we grow in patience and trust and things like that because every time that you resist those temptations or or act against the evil which is trying to push you in one direction or the other because of some wound or tendency or predilection, you're growing in trust of God. And uh, I know I do this all the time. I think like by the time I'm dead, this better not be tempting. And I just, <laughs> I think yeah. that's a lie. Like it's probably going to be tempting <laughs> till the day I die. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's a, I really like that point. Um, it's just like, that's actually the way oftentimes that we grow in trust and in relationship with God is through these challenging, tempting, wounded wounded aspects of each of our lives. Um, but when you, when you act out of like, no, I'm going to, I'm actually going to do what I believe is morally and, uh, internally correct. Like what lines up with the faith, what, what lines up with what I think God's will is you deepen your trust in God. But I think it also undermines the temptation because it's like, yeah, this is, this is there or even an emotion, like I'm sad or I'm afraid. And yet even in that, I'm I'm going to like undermine that with a confidence in God so that the fear and all that stuff is very real, but it doesn't have power over me. And so there's like an even deeper, I think, more authentic revelation of like a concrete relationship that's present, that's there. Um, yeah, which makes it even more powerful because it's saying like that's that is very real. The emotion is real or like whatever the problem is, the memory is very real. But even though that it's there, like I'm still going to say I believe that God the Father has the final say in this and I'm going to put my confidence in him instead of saying like, oh, I'm afraid. So this emotion is going to tell me how how life is going to go, how my life is going to go. But rather you're saying like, OK, this is there and I'm going to tell I have God the Father tell me how, how life is going to go. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes any because initially like my initial thought was it's it's complicated because um, whenever you talk about like the psyche or um, like any like psychological problems or deep trauma or things like that, um, it is so closely tied with the spiritual life. And like, um, I, I, I appreciated the distinction where you said, maybe he just, maybe he said, you don't have to be emotionally healed in order to grow in sanctity. But I don't know. It's just more complicated because immediately I'm thinking of like, well, if physical health, like if somebody's sick, they don't have to be healed. You don't have to be a healthy person physically to grow in sanctity. As a matter of fact, like quite the opposite. I know a lot of sick people Hmm. are very, very holy. Hmm. But I wonder, I wonder if the same applies for like mental or psychological health because I don't know. There's a lot that's at play. Like we believe that grace builds on nature, but at the same time, like we believe that God encounters each person like exactly where they are and i think that's a that's kind of the deeper point that hit me was you don't have to be in a certain place either emotionally or psychologically for to have a a relationship with god a very real relationship with god um where that's sanctity that's holiness like are you a friend of jesus and are you turning into jesus are you a part of his body and i don't yeah but i don't know it's it's tricky because this the psyche is so closely interwoven like you said the different levels of consolation you can have a a very human like a very superficial consolation that could lead to a deeper 
spiritual consolation and just how all those things are connected, I don't know it well enough to uh, to speak to it. But that's that's just some of my initial. Those are some of my thoughts. There's a lady here at the parish, and I referenced her years ago in a podcast. Um, that's crazy. We can say that, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she's a homeless lady who lives in town here, lives in her car and she's comes to church a lot. Um, and she just loves me and she is, I'm sure has some mental illness where she, I mean, what she says a lot of times doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but she's a really, really sweet lady. Um, everybody knows her, uh, people, you know, she's comes to mass. It doesn't bother anybody that she's there, even though she's kind of a, you know, typical homeless person living in her car. Um, not exactly church presentable, but everybody's just accepts her. And, uh, that's one of the cool things about this community. Actually, it's very diverse and people, uh, people aren't uptight about that kind of thing. But in any case, she always, uh, calls me Pope because she has it in her mind that I should be Pope one day. (laughs) And, uh, and I kind of, joke with her i'm like no don't don't wish that on me you know i don't want that or whatever and she's like it doesn't matter i'm you know i'm taking you with me or something like that she'll she'll just kind of and potential point to heaven or whatever and she's she talks about jesus like he lives in her van with her um you know i when i look at her talk to her um i think this person is very close to christ and has a very real relationship with him, even though probably mentally unstable or, or you know, de- you know, delusional or doesn't quite think the way that we, quote unquote, mentally healthy people think um, to, to go to your analogy of the physical health thing. Yeah, you don't need to have everything buttoned, just like you don't need to, you know, have a master's degree in theology to have a relationship with God. Um, God accepts everyone for who they are. And a lot of times because of their poverty either physical or mental, um, draws them closer to himself. And so I'm always thinking to myself, stop praying for me to be Pope because I think about that woman from that book, uh, in the shadow of his wings. You ever read that? Where the, oh, yeah. where the nun said, which since he was an altar boy, she's been praying that he would be a priest like this, uh, yeah. this date. And, and then it comes true. he's like, but there's a war going on. I'm in the army. And she's like, God, wars don't stop God, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he becomes a priest, like her prayer comes true. I think like, I don't want this holy woman to be praying for me to become Pope. Okay. Cause God might listen to her. Like, Look lady, <laughs> you don't realize what you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> for the good of the church, please. <laughs> for the love of God. But uh, I don't know. You no. Know, so for her to, go to heaven to say that she needs to be psychologically healed and, and made into quote unquote normal person with all, you know, all the capacities of an, of a normal person of holding down a job or, or whatever else. That's clearly ridiculous. You know, um, mm-hmm. she's when she dies, she's going straight to heaven unless there's something I don't know about, you know, but she's pretty much wears her heart on her sleeve, you know? Yeah. Rob, can I ask why, like, why was that so, uh, freeing for you like why did that why did that hit you so hard I think just exactly that the notion we kind of been talking about I really like that story Bisque by the way that's uh that was pretty awesome I was but, trying to word uh, it in a way not to be offensive you know like I don't know the, the right the words but mentally unstable or mentally ill or or whatever but you know what no. I mean 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Because that's a hard thing to like talk around, honestly. Right. Today, it's like it's very sensitive for. I mean, a lot of people, you know. Um, I mean, because th- that's always something I struggle with. Like, just really, yeah. It always just is like a very emotional response for me whenever I go visit people in nursing homes and like, especially the dementia ward. And you know, especially like as I've gotten to know some of the people, even here, like this summer. And, like, you kind of hear these people's stories and, um, like, you know, some were, some I really haven't and some, you know, are pretty normal stories. And then some were, like, just, like, really, I would call, like, like, kind of towering figures in the local community. Like, you know, very, um, just, like, very big people. Um, and not, and not just, like, in a worldly sense, but, um, very holy people. And, like they are, uh, like they're not with it a shadow at of all. their former selves. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's like crushing to see, you know. Um, but and uh, so I've always like Teresa's dad. Actually, Louis Martin died with a ton of uh, like mental yeah. health stuff going on, and um, I just think that's such like in so many ways he's such a great modern day saint um but that's certainly one of the one of the reasons um i don't know i guess i just never heard about it necessarily and i think i just maybe caught it even over the course of like the last year or something it was just like one of those things that had slowly like crept into my spiritual life was like just that notion of and and not that it was ever even said but just that notion of like you got to figure it out you got to be you know you got to be you know perfect to um to be the person that God wants you to be and um i don't know it was just it was just like i think it was just very well timed for me like just that line of um maybe maybe i more heard it of like Hey, like you, you don't have to have everything figured out, you know. Like you do not, because I, I've noticed. Like, I don't know if we talked about it last time or not, but it's something about being in the parish this summer that I've noticed in myself is, um, you know, it's just it's kind of like a whole new pace of life, and it's been super awesome. And yeah, I'm like, I I love being in the parish but so much of it is like um just kind of like knowing where to be when and but then there's also like a lot of paperwork and and not that i'm doing that necessarily but you're getting exposed to it and stuff and so just like that balancing thing it's like gosh i've been in seminary for five years and i have no clue how to be a priest like (laughs) none you know um and so i think i just kind of heard it of like that's exactly where you're supposed to be, you know, because yeah. this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so long story or long answer there. I don't know if that gets at what you were asking. Yeah, yeah. Little, little funny synergy there with the mental illness and the not having to have it all figured out. I remember there was once a lady who came in and uh, she's kind of well known in the parish too, where she grew up here. Um and every once in a while goes off her meds and she's really, really, she's not violent, but kind of scary. And like the way that she'll, I don't know if she's schizophrenic or bipolar or something, but she'll, or both. 
she'll just start outbursts like in the middle of church and you, you just look at her eyes and she's got like whatever she's seeing or whatever's going on is very it's alarming um and i remember one time she came in and she was she was really uh in a tizzy and she's talking all about you know how she hears voices and it's god and jesus and she can see who's aliens and who's not and this sort of thing and we, I, we get quite a few people like that around here um people that can't really fit into quote unquote like normal society um that's just sort of drift and have relationships and people that take care of them, I think, family. But a lot of times those sort of things can be huge burdens on families. But anyways, uh, I didn't know what to say. And she just kept going on and on. And it was one of those situations where do you challenge this or do you just entertain it or, do you, you know, just listen. And then how do you wrap this conversation up? Because she's like she sees you as this religious authority who she's also kind of like staring down to see if you're an alien or not and all this stuff like you start to enter into the world and all i said was um you know what if this is from god he'll take care of it and you don't have to worry or something like that like you just you don't have to figure this out um because she thought she had been given this gift of insight and she needed like the whole world was going to end and if she didn't do something and i'm like look that's not how god operates God is the one who saves the world. If he gave you something, he'll let you know how to use it. Um, but don't worry. And it was like her whole countenance melted into this relaxed state. And I don't know when she left, if, if she, you know, kind of reverted or whatever. But there's something about that that made her feel like, oh, okay, I don't have to figure it all out. Um, and gosh, she has so much to that she could have to figure out. But when you're in a state like that, I mean, both from, I think, what I'm hearing from you, Rob, is like from my perspective as a minister and even as a human being myself with many wounds and, uh, you know, unhealthy habits or ways of thinking, like how, how do we all figure this out? How do we help each other? How do we help ourselves? And there's just like, at the end of the day, none of us have any clue. Right. Yeah. Some of, some of us are objectively like institutionalized crazy, but all of us to some extent are lying to ourselves constantly, are pretty crazy, uh, have to, defense mechanisms to guard our ego from any sort of hard truth. Um, all this stuff that could be and needs to be figured out and presented to God for spiritual healing or to a psychologist for emotional healing. But at the end of the day, <laughs> like you just you just put your head down and you go, you know. Dude, that is, I wouldn't have said that, but that's, uh, you're speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I have to say. That's very true. <laughs> Dude, it does make me think of my mom told a hilarious story about her father who towards the end of his life started, um, just kind of losing his mind a bit here and there. Uh, and he wanted, he was an old Miss grad. Okay. So he wanted to go back to Oxford, which is where old Miss is and like live in a home over there. And all my mom's family is in Memphis and she's in Georgia. So he decides to go down to, to Ole Miss and stay there. And my mom's sisters, for the most part, took care of him and were his like primary points of contact. And I guess there was a weekend where they were all gone or weren't answering their phone. And my mom said she got a call and it was someone from their home. And she said, uh, is this Marion Metz? And I'm like, yeah, this is this is Marion Metz. 
Um, you have my dad, Alan, Alan Thompson. Um, like I, I, we're, we're taking care of him. Everything's okay. Don't worry. But, um, this is the second incident that we've had to deal with. And like, he needs to find another home essentially that he has to stay with. And she's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Because she had been out of the loop. Like the sisters had been taking care of everything. And she goes, what's going on? Like you said, he's okay. Well, what's happening? And she goes, well, he's purchased a charter bus and has bought like 50 tickets for all the people in this home to go to an Ole Miss football game. And she said they had like 40 of the old people in this nursing home loaded up on this charter bus that he had just bought on his own <laughs> with tickets to go to this Ole Miss game. And she was like, um, so what, they can't go? And she's like, no, they can't go. They're like... <laughs> 75, 80, 90 year old people, you know, that are in a nursing home that are in a nursing home. And he had just gone off and like done this on his own and like was apparently like standing in the bus, getting everyone fired up to go down there. And, um, yeah, but she was telling this story. I mean, he's since passed, he passed a couple of years ago. Um, this is my grandfather. Yeah. My mom's dad, just this incredible man. And she was telling this story, like dying, laughing with so much love and, and uh, honestly, I think pride in in her dad. Yeah. For like even even at the end, still like being able to organize a forty oh, person with trip. Alzheimer's, like me. With, yeah, <laughs> that's that's amazing, dude. Ball game, and like getting it's a it's a big task to get 35, 40 old people on a bus. People in wheelchairs and walkers, and oh my gosh, yeah. that's a hilarious <laughs> yeah. image. I, and then I the, really, like the orderlies had to come out and be like, "All right, sorry, everybody." Oh. Yeah, we're not, we're you can't going. go. And this is in Oxford, where where the university is. So they, I mean, they sent him, like, they had to move him to another home, you know? Oh, that's so sad. So it was, uh, I think it was quite the ordeal. Um, yeah. He did it twice, you said? The there was another incident. incident. We don't know what the first one was. <laughs> oh, that was the second incident. We don't know. It'll, well, it'll be released in 2025. <laughs> when it becomes know, public so. domain. No, yeah. when 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 the podcast is finished, when we're done airing internet stuff, I'll tell you guys what it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> because it actually can go on the podcast. <laughs> I just learned this about actually my. So this was my great grandpa, and it's not the the same story as that at all. But the nursing home he was in right before he died, actually, he was he loved to like gamble and lottery, and so he made like a buddy there and somehow one of them had a car and they would like i don't know if they were in a nursing home in illinois and they would drive to missouri or if they were in a nursing home in missouri and drive to illinois it was like one or the other but they would they were pretty much like the bookies for this entire nursing home (laughs) and would just go back and forth like on whatever whatever the lottery draw days were um so yeah pretty good stuff that's well this is uh I, I thought of this story, and it's it it's not exactly like, especially towards the end. Um, maybe it hits on it. I certainly relate with the experience of. Um, well, I was I was out to dinner last night actually with Brimmer and all the deacons here in Atlanta. We got together. Brimmer and we have Brimmer, and he dude Brimmer amazing, is nice. Tell hi to Brimmer. <laughs> he dropped such an amazing Brimmer line. He's doing so well, and yeah. that was kind of what it was about. And he was talking about just some of his own fears going into internship. And he said there came a point when he realized that he wasn't going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And that was still good. Like he was imperfect and that was very good in God's eyes. Um, 
Yeah. I know because it's such a lie. Like you have to be perfect and then, and then God will love you and then you can love God. I think may actually be the bigger lie is like there comes a certain point when, um, yeah, I, like, I think what we see with people that do have, you know, different wounds or different, different problems, which we, we all have, um, and then they still like even through them and oftentimes with them and like because of them have have deep encounters with the Lord. That's incredible. Or even like, yeah, Thomas today in the gospel, um, his whole mistake or like quote unquote mistake, his doubt led to one of the most real encounters of all time yeah. that that propelled him to take the faith all the way to India and like die in India. So like his quote unquote and and. I really don't think it was much of a mistake, to be honest, but his doubt, like, oh, no, until I put my fingers in his side, you know, the thing that he's most well known for led to the one of the most real encounters in the history of Christianity, of the gospel, like being there with Jesus and, you know, Caravaggio's famous image of him sticking his fingers in Jesus's side. It doesn't get much more intimate with Jesus than that. And so, I don't know, just how... Like Actually, even, that's a good parallel. I, my homily this morning at Mass was about the other passages where we see Thomas. Um, because you get, I think, for the first time this morning, I got kind of a picture of what Thomas might have been like. Like, for instance, the time when uh, everybody's like, you got to get to Bethany because Lazarus is dying. You got to heal him before he dies. And Jesus just chills there for a few days until... They tell him, okay, now he's dead. Um, or Jesus might say, our friend is sleeping. We have to go wake him or something like that. And Jesus is talking in this very vague language, kind of metaphorically. And it might not be Thomas that says this. No, 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 no. You're right. It's one of my favorite lines from him. And he's like, if he's sleeping, then he's going to wake up. And Jesus is like, no, he, de- he died. We have to go now. And then Thomas is like, all right, let's go and die. And you're like, wait, what? And I guess in the context, you see that they're all worried, Jesus, if he gets close to Jerusalem, they're going to stone him. You know, so Thomas is like, let's do this. Uh, And he doesn't realize that Jesus is like, no, we're going to go to Bethany. We're going to raise Lazarus from the dead, whatever. So he has just trouble uh, with the metaphorical and the vague language, you know, but he's very zealous. And then at the Last Supper, where Jesus is saying, where I'm going, you know the way. That's another famous Thomas line. He says, well, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Um, and then, of course, he's missing the day of the manifestation of the resurrection. And, and then he says, I, I want to touch it. I want to see it um, in order to believe it. And then he has that massive uh, profession of faith, my Lord and my God, after he does. So I just thought my reflection as I was praying about it this morning, was like, here, Jesus knew this guy. He was a really good friend of his. And he knew that maybe he wasn't the best with the abstract thinking, you know? (laughs) Uh, He needed a little bit more concrete something or other. But once he had that, he was all in, you know? Mm. And Jesus came to him in the way that he needed him to. You know, like it was tailor-made. That encounter was tailor-made for Thomas. And it led to this great profession of faith. And then later, like you said, to 
the spreading of the gospel all the way to India and his martyrdom and all that. That's actually a great, I think, parallel to what we're talking about, which is that we've all got personalities. We've all got personality flaws. You know, we've got psychological, uh, you know, gaps in our way of thinking or understanding. I mean, some of us are awkward. Some of us don't understand other people's way. I mean, the whole ENFJ, Myers-Briggs, Strength Finder, whatever, everybody's got these different ways of thinking. A lot of times we talk past each other and we don't get what the other one's saying and we fight and we argue. And I think to myself, how, how in heaven is this going to work where we're all up there and we all get along? Cause down here, mm. it doesn't seem to work. You know, um, we're all so darn different and leave aside skin color and gender obvious differences but like these subtle differences even among families the way people think divides us you know but christ has the ability to address each and every one of us at our level like he knows us better than we know ourselves and so we have such lack of of self-knowledge all of us do but that he knows us and can come to us in the way that we need him to come to us I mean, I'm blathering a little bit, but does that make sense? Or like Thomas didn't yes. need to, he didn't need to fix his way of thinking in order to be a great disciple. Dude, I think, okay, this is going to tie it back into maybe why it struck me, like what you asked earlier, nice. like was because like, I think this summer as a deacon in a parish, it has shown me like very concretely a lot of ways that I did not know myself well in. Mm. And there's like a lot of insecurities that pop up with that because I couldn't have seen it unless I had this experience. And so it's been like a tremendous experience and like, I mean, confirming everything that I was like hoping it would be, but it was, it's also just been like, wow, man, I did not know a lot of things about myself and like how I would respond in like certain situations as a deacon. And, um, yeah, it's, it's made me pray for faith a lot, like just to keep moving forward, you know, cause it's like, yeah, I don't know how I do. Like, I feel equipped. I'm not in any way like, um, like second guessing anything of like the formation we've had or anything like that. And I also just like very much believe in the Holy spirit being a real person in my life. But, um, at the same time, I like do not know what I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, and it's just so like, so clear in certain moments anyway. So I don't know if that, but when you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, that's, that's hitting it for me. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's it. Well, we're getting close to the hour. You want to do your secret story? I won't put in. Oh yeah. <clears throat> totally. Yeah. This won't be in. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, before, I guess before that, um, one thing it did make me think of, especially when you were talking about like the lady who, um, and this is, this is more further off, but it's just been in my head this whole podcast. Um, the, the lady, you know, down near your parish who is not mentally all there. Um, the van lady. The van lady, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I remember when we were down in Lourdes, <clears throat> and which today was a huge grace for me, just remembering this past semester of pilgrimages. Mm. Um, there's a like a serious invitation to go back to those graces, and it was powerful, man. Like being in Galilee and then, yeah, the whole France pilgrimage being back there, that was a huge grace. Um, 
So, but what I remembered was there was a point when we were at Lord's um, and it was like one of the first full days that we were there. And like, I just sat there in the grotto. Have you ever been there, Connor? No. Okay. So you can kind of go through and see where the, the spring first popped up and where the apparition appeared and they have a statue where our lady is. And people in wheelchairs will come through and be pushed through with different disabilities and they can touch the wall and they can, you can see the spring trickling through and, uh, and then like you can walk through and see it and touch it and feel it and like really look in there. And I sat in the grotto, they have like some pews, uh, just outside. Um, and I sat there and like cried <laughs> for like 15 to 30 minutes straight, just watching how many people came through who had, who definitely were not mentally all there, but like desired to touch and experience God and like how real their faith was, um, just being lived out and just how like transparent God is through and in, you know, in, in these people who have these different disabilities and things like that. And it was just so powerful, but evident to see, um, I don't know, because like in their total poverty, it was clear that they were reaching out entirely like, you're it, you're all that I have. Someone else is helping push me and I'm like reaching towards you as as everything that I have. And there was like a moment where one girl, she like went to reach for it and couldn't quite touch the wall in the water and was like reaching so hard and made her, uh, the girl who was pushing her back back up so that she could touch touch the spot and... I don't know, just just to see like such real faith. Um, it was very, it was very powerful. And I remember my dad. Anytime that we would work with folks with with handicaps, different mental handicaps specifically, he'd always say like, "I always come up to them afterwards and whisper into their ear like, you have to pray for me right now because like, you have an intimacy because of like just because of your purity and even because of your own." like mental disabilities, you have an intimacy with God. Like you have to help me because you're a saint. Um, huh. So um, yeah, that that was just kind of came back to me today from Lords. It was very, very powerful, very beautiful, beautiful being there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So are y'all ready for this other story? Yes. Do it. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.